What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. And we are here one year out from when the entire pandemic started. We're here <laughs> in New York. I know March 13th we went into lockdown. Today is March 7th. So last year this time, we were just living in bliss. Pretty sure I went bowling for my birthday. That's in a couple <laughs> days. Just putting my fingers in random balls that other people had their fingers in, eating food, being disgusting. Blowing out birthday cake candles. <laughs> yeah, no idea what was going to happen. <sighs> and now we'd never be able to do that again. <laughs> I think this time last year I went on a girls weekend and we flew up to Byron Bay and I saw Liam Hemsworth. So that was exciting. <laughs> that was the highlight before the lows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. Around this time, the NBA shut down. This is I remember things were like starting to get sketchy because we were like, oh, is it going to come here? And I remember we went to lockdown on, I think it was the 13th or whatever the Monday coming up is. And then right before that, that Sunday, it was one of my boyfriend's friend's birthday also. And we went out to brunch and we were like, should we be going out to brunch? Is it safe? <laughs> and then it was like the next day, we everyone was in lockdown. Everyone had to work from home and everything was closed. But Just we did it. Um, made it yeah. a year. Unbelievable that that's, this is what's happened. It literally seems like ages ago. Like it seems like such a long time ago, but also I like can't believe it's already March of 2021 at the same time. Even I saw um I think Lozzie was saying something about her work, how it's been their lockdown's been extended till September, and that's only six months away from now. Which is crazy. That's so crazy. I'd be so mm. depressed if that happens here. I know, I know. Hopefully with all these vaccine rollouts it starts settling maybe a bit soon yeah hopefully but it's also you know the pandemic brought on some challenges but it also brought on us finally being like all right well we might as well make a podcast like everyone fucking else has <laughs> so it's been <laughs> it's been just about a year of us having a podcast which is also crazy um our first episode was published on march 24th of last year so we are probably recording it right around this time um I think a lot has changed since then. We've learned a lot. A lot has gotten better. Learned yep. some tricks, but still the same vibes. <laughs> I was just looking at our um, podcast stats. So we've had 250,000 downloads, which I think is pretty good for a first year little effort. Mm -hmm. And we took a few months off. Yeah, 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 we did too. Our most popular episode was the to Tote Family Murders, followed by the Daybells, and then Emery, Connery, and Bailey Smith, and then Mums Who Murder. So they're the top four episodes which you know i'm not surprised they're quiet um they're you know, ones. yeah yeah especially emery and bailey i really like that one that was i know it's wrong to say you like a murder suicide but it's a really fascinating case that i don't know i don't know yeah. if we'll ever get any answers but very mysterious all right so sometimes we have some updates on cases that we covered in the past um Lori shaver from the case with michael shaver who was the one that was murdered and found dead in his backyard under a makeshift cement fire pit that yep. his wife, Lori, was then arrested for because she seems the most likely su suspect. Um, she put out a GoFundMe recently proclaiming her innocence again and asking for money for some reason. Um, I know Olivia has it pulled up, so she'll 
read a few lines from it? So I think the GoFundMe has actually been taken down now. Um, don't know why, if someone reported it or whatever. But well, because criminals aren't allowed to have one. Yeah, well, that's true. So um, she there was a 13-minute video. This is on our website on truecrimesociety.com if you want to check it out. But um, she released a 13-minute video that says, I'm innocent. So you can go and watch that if you really want. But like, I'll just read some of the GoFundMe because it's a bit of a novel. But it says, my name is Laurie Filmer, previously known as Laurie Shaver. Mr. Jeffrey Wiggs Esquire is representing me in the criminal charges that have been brought against me. Let me tell you up front and without reservation, I am absolutely innocent of these charges. That last bit is in caps. <laughs> I strongly suspect that I have been targeted for political reasons. The foremost is police apathy. The second is pressure created by estranged relatives. This matter remained on a cold case file status for years and had no evidence developed other than the pressures on law enforcement. I have ended up being charged. So the rest of it goes on about how what, of an, what an amazing person she is. Like it says, I am a good person who has a loving, caring, servitude heart that accepts all and always tries to see the good in people and does not pass judgment. <laughs> Whenever able, I have been able, I have always sought ways to help others, whether that's through monetary means of groceries, paying bills, buying gifts, preparing, providing meals, babysitting for single parents while they work. So she just basically goes on and on and on about how great she is um, yeah. and why why we should all be donating to her GoFundMe. So um, the last paragraph is long again, but it says they're in need of a minimum of $50,000. Mr. Jeffrey Wiggs has been representing me for three years and we suspect we have about two years left. Please help. And she signs up, respectively taking a stand against injustice in love. Laurie L. Filmer. <laughs> I think it's going to be two more years. That's crazy. I know. I don't know why. I guess they're, yeah, I don't even know how you'd even know the, um, yeah, maybe that's just what the timeline they've been given is. Yeah. So it's crazy. It's a long process, but I'm very glad it got taken down. Yeah. And it comes with a um, 13 minute long video of her sitting in front of like the ocean, looking like she's living life <laughs> as if that's going to appeal to anyone to be like, wow, I better donate money. She's really struggling at the beach right now. It looks like a um, budget infomercial, like something that you'd see. Yeah, it. like it's yeah. it's like produced. Like yeah. there's like yeah. shots of the ocean, like music in the background. I'll add in some clips as long as it's not taken down before I can get the audio from it. So they can't be too hard up if they've got money to produce a video <laughs> asking for money. So. coming before you guys today just to let you know that we have our suspicions but I don't know why I've been targeted why I've been set up or charged with this heinous crime I am NOT guilty and anybody that knows me knows that my life is my children I am a daughter I'm a friend I'm a neighbor, I'm a servant of God, I'm a wife, and I'm a devoted mother of four. My life is my children. The well-being of my children has and always will be my top priority. And that is the reason that I would never cause any harm to the father of my children. I'm shocked that her lawyer okayed this, but... Mm. 
Yeah, so am I. But anyway, it's good for us, good good for the laughs. (laughs) (laughs) Good for the memes. (laughs) But today we're going to talk about two cases that are similar in the sense that they are two missing, seemingly pretty well-off businessmen. They're both last seen at gas stations, and then their cars were found somewhere else, and they still haven't been found. They both went missing last year. So the first one is Alan White, and the second one is Jake Sefolia. Um, so first we're going to get into Alan White. All right. So Alan's case is one of the ones, and it's still one of the most active discussions within our group as well. Um, we've got a blog for him that Nikki did if you want to check out all the background and, you know, more images and things like that about his case. But Alan was a 55-year-old man. He was living in Dallas, Texas when this all kind of happened. He's lived a pretty good life, it seems. He was a managing director for the accounting firm KPMG. Um, Alan was gay. He'd married his partner, Rusty Jenkins, about five years before he disappeared. So at the time, uh, they were living in a house worth over a million bucks and Alan was driving a Porsche. Um, it was a loaner car but because I think his car was getting fixed or serviced or something like that but was still a Porsche, which I don't know many <laughs> car repair places that give you a Porsche to drive around. But Well, they so usually give you something that's like comparable to the car you have. So whatever mm. you had was probably also a nice car. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what my thinking also was. So um, he went to the gym early in the morning on October 22, 2020, and he was last seen filling up the Porsche at a gas, gas station. He drove away and basically has not been seen since. So when I was trying to kind of get a better timeline or a more thorough timeline, I found a really, really good post on Reddit, which I'll link on the blog as well. Nikki, as I said, has been doing the blog. So on the day that Alan disappeared, This information comes from Rusty, who's Alan's husband. He said that they each left their home in Dallas to go to their gyms at around 4.40 a.m. So they went to different separate gyms. I'm not sure where Rusty's was, but Alan's was LA Fitness at City Place, which was a 12-minute or an almost four-mile drive from their house. Alan got there for when the gym opened at five. He entered the gym and we assume he worked out. We haven't heard that he didn't, so I'm assuming they've checked that out. He did a quick workout and he was seen on CCTV leaving the gym at 5.38. He appears calm and normal and he's alone. He gets into the Porsche and he drives away. At around nine minutes later, the last footage that we know of Alan was seen at the racetrack gas station. I had a look and it says um, on Google Maps and it says that this location is 11 minutes from the gym, but he got there in under 10 minutes. So I think we can pretty safely assume that he didn't stop anywhere. He just went straight from the gym to the gas station. Um, Rusty has since come out and said that this isn't the usual gas station that they would have used. That morning there had been a robbery at another gas station or a 7-Eleven and that there was all police blockades and roadblocks and things like that set up due to that robbery. So that's why Rusty and I guess the police believe that Alan kind of deviated from what would have been his usual stop and went to a different one. Do you have like a usual gas station? I feel like I don't. I have, yeah, I do because I, I usually fill up on the way to work and there's one that I stop at and they've got a really good selection of snacks. <laughs> so that's <laughs> I the like one I <laughs> always try and stop at. <laughs> there's definitely one I go to more than others because like it's on my way to and from work that, and I think it's like cheaper than most, but I feel like if I went to a different gas station in the same area, like 
because there's so many like right by me that I don't think anyone would side eye it and be like, that's not her usual gas station. But. It doesn't sound like it's a massive, like he didn't drive half an hour to go to just some random gas station. It just sounds like this one was close by and he went there instead of going yeah. to his usual one. Mm. Um, so there's footage of Alan on CCTV at the gas, gas station. You can see him putting gas into the car and he's apparently using his phone to text while he's there, which we're not allowed to do that here. I don't know if you guys are. But if you're on your phone while you're pumping gas, they'll come over the loudspeaker and they'll be like, pump (laughs) pump five, get off the phone. (laughs) It used to be like more of a thing, I feel like, because sometimes I'll do it and then I look at the gas pump to see if it says you can't be on a phone. I feel like the newer ones don't really say it, but I know it definitely once was a thing and like i know you're like not supposed to be yeah i'll have to have a look next time but yeah but i do it and i haven't blown up the place (laughs) according to the dallas police detective eric barnes he pumps gas into his vehicle he goes into the store and he comes back out he gets into his vehicle and he drives off into the park off the, the parking lot at that point there's no one in the vehicle with him so i know you made a good video of the footage um but basically it just looks like he's texting or whatever he's doing on his phone like there's no nothing unusual about the footage to me no it's not very interesting it's also like stop stop motion almost like more like it takes a picture every five seconds or like it records little increments every five seconds so it's not a streamlined thing it's kind of like choppy but it's just like what anyone else would be doing at the gas station I always find, even though I know I agree, it's not interesting, like nothing interesting actually happens. I always find when we know it's the last footage of them, I always find it more fascinating. Well, yeah, definitely then because you're just like, oh, my God, he was never seen again after this. Look at him just getting gas. Like, <laughs> Did he know he was never going to be seen again? <laughs> like what's he doing on his phone? Who's he talking to? Um, so even though we said he went to get gas at around 5.47, so, you know, the 10 minutes after he left the gym, there's – um, from what I've read, there's a possible discrepancy because his bank records, which I guess they looked at after he disappeared, showed that he actually paid for the gas at 6.01 a.m. So if there is that discrepancy, that is, you know, maybe another 10 or 12 or whatever minutes that he is unaccounted for and it shouldn't have taken him that long to get to the gas station, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so maybe he did do a little stop if there is that discrepancy. It's it's hard to know you know, maybe maybe the timing was just off and who knows, which is the same with Elisa Lamb, I think, too. Remember they said that her CCTV footage was, there was some weird discrepancy with the timestamp. Yeah, I remember when I used to work at Sunglass Hut, we had cameras in there and we never knew how to, like, change the date or time or anything yeah. on it, so it could have just been off. But I wonder if, like, is does it take, like, a little bit for the bank to actually get the processing, like which one's right. But maybe it it could also be off because maybe he tried to go to his usual gas station and then saw the blockades or whatever and then had to like turn around and have a fiasco to try to get to another gas station. So Alan's niece has also said on social media that they've they've looked at his phone data and basically the last data usage on his phone was at 6.01am, which is the same time he paid for the petrol. So I wonder if he paid via his phone or if he, you know, maybe the texting that he was doing is the last data usage at around that time. Mm. So that's an interesting, after he, basically after he got gas, he doesn't seem to have used his phone for whatever reason he was using it there for too. Very strange. So I found this directly from Reddit and it's, so I'll just read out, it's an actual quote. It says, 
According to a researcher with exclusive access to case information and unreleased surveillance video, from what I've been told, Alan is clearly seen on the video in the racetrack, loitering in the store, but not going into the bathroom. What stood out in the video was Alan was just hanging out in an aisle doing nothing. He never approached the checkout or bought anything. He just walked out after a minute or two and then returned to his car, still parked at the pump, and sat in the car for another one or two minutes. The tinted windshield makes it difficult to see what he was doing while sitting in the car, texting maybe. So I don't know. It sounds to me from that quote, if that is accurate, that he didn't actually pay the cashier for the gas. Maybe, like I know here you can pay via app. And all things like that. So I don't know if if that was the case there, or um, well, you can also just pay at the pump. Okay, is that not a thing for you? It used to be a thing, but now they've just everything is via app. So and I, when I say everything, the gas stations I go to, maybe some still aren't. So you used to be able to like just tap your card at the pump and pay, but it's different here mm. anyway because you never. And I don't know. I think it's different in states there, but here you pay for your gas after you put it in. See here, you you can go inside and pay too, obviously, but it's like you just put your card into the pump before you pump your gas, and then you Takes pump out the gas. You spend. Yeah, and then once you're done, it's like, uh, do you want a receipt? And you hit yes or no, and then that's it. It's it's so weird you, that you don't um, even really have to go inside. So maybe he was killing time or looking. But for it's a weird snack. that he yeah went in and then didn't actually do anything. Like he doesn't sound like he bought a drink or a snack or anything like that. It just sounds like he went in, hung out, and then came back out. So I guess, you know, maybe he went in just to have a look and then nothing took his fancy. I've done that before. (laughs) Yeah, what kind of snacks were at this gas station? (laughs) We should have done more research into what snacks I have. So I don't know how this person also got this footage. I would love to see it. And I haven't been able to find it anywhere online, so I don't know how this person, maybe they know the racetrack person or something like that. Yeah, um, that's true. So at 6.05, so this is around four minutes after he allegedly paid for the petrol, says the same researcher with exclusive access to video surveillance reports the following. When Alan pulled away from the gas pump, and, you know, think about the time discrepancies and all that again, it was just after 6 a.m. They Everyone presumed he would go home. He would go here via Inwood. It's a 1.3-mile trip to his, to his house. But Alan makes a decision to linger one more time before leaving the racetrack, but in a di- different section. He drives 100 feet from the racetrack gas pump to Church's Chicken next door and lingers there. So he kind of drives his 100 feet, stops in the driveway of this chicken shop, doesn't get out, but he just kind of sits in the car. So it does seem like he's maybe deliberately lingering or killing time for whatever reason maybe and, and you know as we said if his data was used at 601 it doesn't seem like he was still texting or waiting for someone to be in contact with him which is unusual yeah. um security cameras then capture alan leaving the church's parking lot turning right onto inward in the correct direction of his house at 605 a.m so 606 a.m one minute after that um the quote says this next piece of evidence is critical as stated above security cameras captured alan turning right onto inward from the church's parking lot in the direction of the house but four to five blocks along inward road is the intersection with lemon avenue there is a cvs at this intersection but the security cameras did not pick up any sight of alan's car reaching that intersection Traffic was minimal at that early hour and every car was clearly visible except Alan's car never showed up. So there's a four to five block window where he's turned off or stopped or something like that and just hasn't been seen since, which is interesting. 
Um, Rusty had meanwhile returned home from the gym and by about 6.15 he started to think it was strange that Alan had not returned home. And so this this seems a little bit odd to me. Um, you know, it's only a 10-minute time frame-ish, you know, from when he would have gotten home, but maybe they just had real maybe his routines and maybe around when he was at the gas station he was texting him and was like up oh, yeah. on my way back or whatever yeah. so by 6 30 a.m he was very worried so rusty did an interview with wfaa and this is a quote from that it says when he wasn't home at 6 15 i thought it was odd when he wasn't home at 6 30 i knew something was wrong when he wasn't home by 6 45 i was panicking i got in the car at seven drove back and forth trying to find him trying to find evidence of a wreck somewhere i was calling the hospitals trying to find out if there was an unidentified john doe in any of the hospitals because i didn't know if he had his id with him or not so alan was working from home at the time due to covid and he had been scheduled to attend a work call that he didn't obviously show up for at 7 30 a.m so it seems like that day Rusty was quite frantic. Um, I know that Alan's niece, I believe, was staying with him at the time as well um, and they kind of did everything they could um, to find him. And by 11 a.m., so you know, only a few hours after he essentially went missing, they lodged a missing person report with the police. Rusty spent all that day and night trying to get access to Alan's, I guess, accounts, his computer, iPad, tried to ping his phone. And I don't know, from what I've read, I don't think they had much luck in doing that straight away. Um, so then the search for Alan started. He's an amazing friend. It's been five days of stress. It's honestly one of the strangest things I've experienced. Matt Davies told me about his friend Alan White, who went to this Dallas LA fitness at 5 Thursday morning. He was captured on video leaving the gym at 5.38, but he hasn't been seen since. It seems like it's an episode of Dateline or something. You know, you, you, you know it happens, but you would never think that it would happen to, to you and your friends. Alan was in a black Porsche loaner vehicle when he drove off. In the days since his disappearance, family and friends searched all over town. It's just like he just vanished in thin air. His brother Tim flew in from West Virginia. I think the hardest part was when we I, the flight landed at, at DFW, and as we were sitting on the taxiway, I just kind of lost it because the stewardess said, "Are you here for business or pleasure?" And I went, "I just gave her a little overview." I said, "No, I'm I'm, I'm really here for business, I guess, because I'm trying to find my brother." The family hired a private investigator while Dallas police look for him too. They're working on a court order so they can try to locate his cell phone. I feel that he's here. I feel he's somewhere around here. I feel someone has him. Alan's a high-level executive for the accounting company KPMG and so much more. He is a, a husband, a son, a brother, uh, a friend. And all those who love him so hope he makes it home. Nobody cares about the car at this point or, or the phone or money or anything like that. We just want uh, Alan uh, to be, be brought home safely. In Dallas, I'm Alex Rosier. So Alan was last seen on Thursday, October 22nd. One week later, Thursday, October 29, his Porsche was found. So it was a 2019 Porsche Macan, and that was found in the 5800 block of Kitty Street, which was more than 15 miles from where he was last seen at the gas station. There's an interview with Detective Barnes from the Dallas Police, and he said, this vacant lot is in a very seclu secluded area. 
and it is known by the people in Highland Hills and it's known by the Dallas Police Department. So that seems to me that maybe it seems like a bit of a shady area. Like a drug deal area. Yeah, I know. Like in parking lot. Known to police. They've been called yeah. there many times is my thinking. Yeah. Um, it says police said the vehicle was parked between two sections of bushes and the keys were inside. So it seems like maybe they tried to hide it. Um, interesting that the keys were left in there. But also when they found the Porsche, they um, I think they discovered by then that Alan's coach bag and it had they don't know what was in the bag, but that was not in the car and his phone was also not in the car. They said there was no signs of damage to the Porsche. I would love to know what the fuel gauge was in the Porsche based on how much fuel he put in the car, but I haven't been able to find that anywhere. But um, they said the seats in the Porsche were wet and there was mud on the tyres. So according to the family, this is significant because they believe it indicates that Alan wasn't driving the car and he didn't park the vehicle, but that the vehicle was parked while it was raining. Maybe there was... Maybe they had a sunroof or the windows were down or I don't know, it's a bit strange. But when Alan went missing on October 22, it was clear and 70 degrees, but it did rain the following day and I think it also ranged then from October 25 to 28. So they're saying that basically suggests that who the muddy tyres in the wet car suggests that whoever was driving the car had been rained on. So I guess they got in the car with wet not have been raining the day that he was last seen, I guess is what they're saying. But then I don't really, like, I, yeah, I think that's it, but I don't get how if they don't know where Alan is, they don't know that he's not the one that drove, drove the car there. Yeah, like he, he could have been driving around for a whole day. Maybe they're saying because the car was found. But then also if the car was found on the 29th, you think that the seats probably wouldn't be still wet. Like if it didn't, if it rained even the day before, I can get there'd still might maybe be mud in the car, but... It seems to me that if if the stuff was still wet and if the windows were up and there was no sunroof and all that, that it seems yeah. to me that it would have been recently dumped there by someone who was wet. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that the police would have checked for, like, fingerprints in the car, so hopefully they know that kind of stuff. Yeah, I know, and I, I just wish they would tell us. <laughs> yeah, what about us? <laughs> we need to know. Um, so uh, there were some large gaps in uh, I said I had written there's large gaps in the investigation, but I think there's just large gaps in what they actually told us, told the public. Yeah, probably. So after the car was found, which was October 29, there was nothing much else until November 20. So citing recent developments in the investigation, the Dallas police upgraded Alan's disappearance from want to locate to endangered missing person. They said they will not comment on what new evidence led them to reclassify his disappearance, but basically uh, the New York Post, which who knows how true this is, but anyway, New York Post reported that an unnamed Dallas police sergeant told them that a recent discussion with White's family prompted detectives to make the upgrade. So I feel like this is leading, it's getting interesting, (laughs) even more interesting now. So... On December 4, the Dallas police transferred Allen's case from the Youth Operations Division, which handles missing person cases via their missing person squad, to the Special Investigations Unit, which handles cold cases, which is unusual to me because it'd only been missing for six weeks. They've already moved it to a... Insert leads, I don't know. I don't know, maybe. I don't know why. I'd love to know the rationale behind that. Um, so Alan's family also around this time announced that they were putting out a $15,000 reward for, you know, information in his case. He's just so kind to people. Filled with anxiety and heartache. I didn't know what 
to do. Errol Lou Craven spoke of her son, Alan White. Somebody has to know something. As Dallas police try to find him. And I won't say the, that he's gone until they tell me he's gone. His family needs your help. If anyone has seen anything, you know, please come forward. You know, how, no matter how little they think it is or insignificant it may be to them, it may be a big piece of the puzzle to the police. If, if he, somebody's got him and he's hurt, bring him to us. We'll take care of him. It'll be three weeks Thursday. The longest three weeks of your life. But his family has faith. I think he's still alive somewhere. I really do. And they're hanging on to hope. I'd just love to see his face again and him say, hey, Bob. In Dallas. I don't understand this. I'm Alex Rosier. I don't understand it at all. I hate to see his mother suffering like that and White's family is so desperate to find him. They've put up a $15,000 reward. You can learn more by clicking on Alex's story on WFAA.com. On January 15, 2021, the Dallas police said they're waiting for test results to come back from the Southwestern Institute of Forensic Sciences in this case. Uh, Chelsea Geist also said that they're waiting on warrants. She said a separate warrant was required for Apple and then for every each, you know, each and every app on his cell phone. It's a very difficult and time-consuming process, unfortunately. I never even really consider that they need it for all the apps. You think that if you download the app, that kind of gives Apple ownership over the data but maybe it doesn't work like that yes because the apps must be the ones that have the data yeah like on snapchat say like who you're talking to on snapchat and who you're sending pictures to on snapchat like snapchat must have access to all that not apple it's so annoying that they haven't thought of like another way to do this because i feel like in every case it's like a problem where they're waiting on stuff from apple stuff from whoever stuff from whoever and it's always like a fiasco because the app and Apple especially doesn't want to give up the information. Yeah. Because privacy. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. So as of now, March, you know, 7th or 8th, we haven't really heard anything else about his actual phone data. I don't know if we ever will. Hopefully we will. So we just kind of waited. You know, everyone was chatting about what happened. No real new information until February 5th. So Alan and Rusty's home sold which is interesting in itself, but they sold the house for $1.755 million. And the most interesting part is that Rusty used power of attorney to sell the home. So um, Elena, who's in our group, she is very familiar with Texas real estate, I guess. And she was saying that basically in order for Rusty to use the power of attorney, he has to be able to prove that Alan is alive. If Alan was dead, which obviously they still can't prove either because, the, you know, he's missing, the power of attorney would then be null and the property would go into probate. You know, according to multiple sources from what I've read, there is no way in Texas that Rusty would have been able to sell the house without being able to prove that Alan is alive. And so at the same time that they purchased, oh, sorry, that they sold the house, they also, or Rusty, I guess, purchased a condo in both Alan and Rusty's names. They were both named on the power of attorney, as well as Alan's sister, Tina, and his mother, Ma- Mara Lou, were all on the uh, power of attorney. So this, like, I, like, it's fascinating. I would love to know what is going on with all this. It's just, it seems like the people who know what they're talking about are adamant that he has to be alive with some proof of it for them to be able to use his power of attorney. But I wonder if 
Rusty was able to argue that, like, you can't prove that he's dead either. Like, he could be alive. But I know, like, know? even in um the case of Paul Paul, you know, Michael Chambers and all that. Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> I, of that one too. Becca, his wife, he, she got him declared dead really, really, like, I think less than three months after he went missing, and he's still missing, but she's successful. And I've been, you know, that she's shady as well, but she successfully had him declared dead. So I feel like in most missing person cases, if they need to do something like this, they have to have him declared dead. You know, they would have to have him declared dead, which makes me think maybe there's a reason why they can't do that. Yeah. So anyway, I, I pulled some quotes from people, you know, during this discussion. So basically there's two types of power of attorney. There's a durable power of attorney and I guess just a normal one. The durable power of attorney um, allows someone to make decisions when someone is incapacitated but they have to be alive. So it could be a coma, dementia, Alzheimer's, something like that. But both powers of, types of powers of attorney become obsolete when someone dies. Mm-hmm. Another quote is, I've never heard of a loophole for a power of attorney ever. What I do know is that a title company cannot proceed with a sale without having proof of life. I've literally never heard of that happening. A, pr- a power of attorney is only for living people. So then someone wrote also, you cannot use a power of attorney without verifying that the principal is alive. Any title company and underwriter to the insurance would require this. No title company in Dallas, knowing this case, would close with this power of attorney without confirming he's alive. Otherwise, they're liable for a $1 million lawsuit when the buyer sells. So it sounds like there isn't really even a chance that they could have done this if they weren't able to prove that he was alive. Very weird. Mm, it's very strange. And I know it's it's very confusing as well. Like, because um, I, for me, I always think a power of attorney is for someone who isn't able to make or, you know, be there and make the decisions for themselves, which I know it's, there's other ways, but it just seems it's hard for me to get my head around all this. Yeah. I mean, I guess the biggest takeaway is that it seems like they'd have to have most likely prove that he may be alive somehow or is definitely alive somehow which i don't see how that's possible obviously we don't know all the evidence and stuff so maybe he has been using something or someone's been using something of his like in any other situation if that wasn't the case i would have said i'm 100 percent sure that he's most likely not alive it's um interesting to me like i wonder if the power of attorney you know stuff is related to them updating his missing status from want to locate to endangered missing oh yeah like so, I've just I, I just tried to have a look to see if I could kind of get a definition of the classifications for missing people and why, you know, why they would have changed it. But basically, it says um, a, a, the usual um, definition for missing and endangered. It says it's the default classification for minors under eighteen and elderly persons over sixty five. An adult between those ages will be listed as endangered missing if they have medical condition or are missing under circumstances that indicate they may be endangered, which is interesting. Mm. So maybe he's run away to join a cult or something like that and they kind of know but they don't know where he is. Yeah, I don't know. He just seemed to be like acting so chill at the gas station. Yeah. He's like, well, say I'm running away joining a cult or and they whatever. Were like- um, I know that there's been a lot of chat in the group too about his or their financial situation. So apparently they remortgaged um, and when they sold their house, they would have had a, either a very, very small mortgage or no mortgage at all to buy the new condo because I guess they were downsizing. So mm-hmm. that, you know, people are indicating that that is not a reason. Like It wouldn't have been for financial reasons that he would have taken off and done this. 
But I guess, yeah. you know, again, we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. Who knows what other debt they had or anything like that. But there's nothing really recent, um, you know, since that on this case. However, while I was just looking today to make sure we hadn't missed anything, on March 6th, which was two days ago, there was an article released by NBC and it says, the body of an unidentified man was recovered Saturday from the Trinity River. Canoers spotted the body in a tree or brush area in the river between Dallas and Irving. Uh, they called to Dallas Fire Rescue said that they were called to assist with the body at 11.34. So I've had a look at a map that someone's done for us in the group and the body was found around 20 miles from where Alan was last seen. Um, I feel like this probably isn't Alan, but I just thought I'd add, add it in just in case. I wonder if now from October to March he would still actually be classified as a body maybe. Like, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess it's been co- Especially cold. Especially in a... In a, do you just say it was in a river? Well, it says they were called to the or river, but then the river. body was spotted in a tree or brush area. Oh. So it doesn't actually say if the person had been in the water and got washed up or if the person was just in the tree area. Yeah. Um, I also read a comment that said apparently there's a lot of bodies that are washed up in that river. Apparently there's some dodgy areas around there. So um, I don't think it is Alan. <laughs> I said to Stephanie, imagine if it was. It always happens that there's some update yeah. when we record. So that's why we thought we'd add it in. But I feel like it's probably not. This episode's going to come out pretty fast, though, because we're recording it kind of late than we usually would. Because yep. I'm going to put it out in like three or four days. So what's the most that could happen in that time? <laughs> Who knows? So, um, yeah, see, I'm just looking online now. There's, you know, some stuff from the end of November, but that is pretty much it. Do you have a theory or anything that you think? It's so vague that it's like hard to even think of one. It is vague. And, like, you know, for example, he doesn't seem to have, well, I have never seen him having any type of criminal record. Yeah. Um, I just feel like the loitering and the kind of using the phone makes me think that maybe he was waiting for someone or... If that's even true. Um, yeah. I mean... It- I don't really have... A, yeah, I don't think I have a theory in this one. Like, I, I, I suspect he's probably dead or... I don't know, maybe not, I guess. Then, I think but he's then probably I thought dead. I would have absolutely said he was dead until this power of attorney stuff. Yeah. And now I'm not... So my other theory is that if he is, maybe they know that he's gone to live, you know, start a new life either for maybe religious reasons or um, like maybe he's mentally ill. Mm. But I figure if they had that kind of proof, they would surely kind of know where he was generally. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen so many theories online. Like I was trying to read a bit on Reddit before he started and I saw some people wondering about, like, what apps were on his phone. Like, could he have been meeting up with someone? Like, um, like of course, everyone just automatically says Grinder because he's gay, like, as if every gay uses Grinder. But um, could he have met someone there and then something happened? You know, could he have been using drugs or anything? And could that have gone wrong? Like, is that why he was loitering around? Like, it seems like he was waiting for something that the loitering is true. But there's other yeah. people who are like, you know, maybe he just fucking left and started a new life. But I'm like, why would you go to the gym before you leave and start a new life? I wouldn't. 
And it's like for half, yeah, half an hour, like it just, yeah. Why are you going to get gas um, to just leave your car? (laughs) Yeah. And also um, it's interesting to me that the police seem to have reclassified his missing status after they got information from the family. So what, I feel like there's things being hidden here that we don't know, or maybe not hidden, but they just haven't been open with the public about them. It makes it seem like, because obviously he had a lot of money, like could there have been like a ransom hostage situation, but you'd think... Well, I guess it could have happened and we don't know, like, that someone would have asked for a ransom by now. So maybe they did, but we just don't know that. Like, is someone holding him captive for money or I don't know? I am. When I was looking to see if there's any other articles, there was one from January by the Dallas Voice. And it was just saying basically what we talked about, how they're still waiting to hear from Apple and everything like that. But there's some interesting comments. I'll just read two of them. Someone called Looking to Help wrote, guys, I can tell you for certain there are things happening in this in this investigation you are not aware of. It is nice that the police share this information to let us know that there are some stones they are still looking to overturn. But I know that there is more to this as well as those close to the investigation. We will learn about some of those efforts and leads in time. As someone closely following this investigation, I'm aware of some things not shared here, but I was not aware of the fact they were still looking to tap into Apple's records. That is actually reason to hope, not be angry. This means there may yet be a breakthrough in this case that may lead to a viable suspect to finding Alan and then arrests. And then the comment under that is from someone called Tina White Huddleston, and she has written, I am his sister. They aren't telling us things because they want an open and shut case. We are putting our faith in Dallas and the police to solve this. Frustrating to you, think about us. Or frustra- if it's frustrating to you, think about us, his family. Mm. So um, it seems that's an interesting comment as well. Very and then serious. Tina also commented saying that, so someone wrote a separate warrant for each application on his one phone. They're like, excuses, excuses. And then someone wrote, I don't believe they have the phone, which means they have to request info from the makers of each app. And then Tina commented again and she she confirmed they don't have to get, they don't have the phone, they have to get warrants. Yeah, and that can take so months and months. Well, that's the end of January. So, you know, that's already three months or whatever from when know, you let me see. I and feel like people... Didn't have them. I feel like I've always heard from other investigations that like Apple always gives like a hard time trying to get um, access to these things. Yeah, I've heard that too. And they always like, I don't know why, like, uh, I, I, like I get the whole privacy thing, but then there's obviously a very clear situation going on here. It's not someone's just ringing up trying to get someone's random phone records. There's police yeah. involved. It, just, it must just be a slow process. Yeah. But um, so that's it for Alan. I think hopefully we'll get some updates soon. It's it's kind of been a low key case for me for what it is like a kind of a affluent guy, just totally gone, and there just hasn't been that much on it. So one more thing, um, I saw on Reddit like people were trying to be like, oh, what about Rusty? Like I really like people are trying to say like he must be involved somehow, but I really don't see that. Like I feel like I don't know. I just feel like. I don't see it. Do you? No, I don't think so. I like. I, I think that Rusty probably maybe knows more about his maybe state of mind or whatever was going on. Yeah. Um, but I don't think Rusty's involved in his disappearance. No, and it'd probably be easy to prove that he was also at the gym or not or whatever. Yeah. I feel like well, if Rusty yeah, was involved, it would be solved by now. Yeah, exactly. And like Rusty, I've seen videos of Rusty and, you know, he seems... <laughs> Just based off his videos, you know, he—I—I I, I don't think he's involved. I think either 
Alan had something going on or was involved in something shady. Yeah. I used to think like it was like a carjacking or something because he, you know, had a nice car and there was just like a robbery in that area. Like, and plus that vacant lot they said is shady. So it seems like could have been a shady area. But now like, but then hearing the loitering stuff, it like seems like could he have been waiting for someone or killing time for some reason. So it's very mysterious. It is one where I don't even really have like a theory, but I'm very interested for this to be solved. When I um, look up Kitty Street on Google Maps, um, it's a, actually like a tiny little street. It's like a dead end. Yeah. Um, like I'm on there right now. I'll put it on the blog. But um, when you have a look, like it's, there's, um, there's like nothing maybe there. Five right? or six. No, it's, and it's, there's like rubbish dumped there. Um, it looks, and it looks quite secluded. Like there's, you know, some, it doesn't look like there's much around. There's some like little. But it seems like a place that it. you could, would maybe go to if you were. Yes. Trying to do a drug deal. To do a drug deal. Or- yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I was going to say. It's quite secluded. It doesn't look like there'd be any through traffic. Um, so, you know, the significance of where that car was found. And when I'm looking at it now, I can see what they mean kind of in between two bushes because it's very overgrown. Um, it's also weird. Like yeah. his bag and his phone is missing. Like, Yeah, that is know. weird. Just- and why did he have his bag anyway? Like if he well, wasn't that's a, just was it like a gym, gym bag? Well, it said it was a coach. I'll just find the actual wording. Hold on a minute. Um, like I used to work at coach, so I have insight. <laughs> it doesn't sound to me like it's a work bag. It says Alan's navy and maroon two-tone coach sling bag. So it could be a gym bag, though. A sling bag? Because I feel like, I don't know, coaches, men bags, like they had a lot of just like little like weekender type totes that you could probably use as a gym bag or just a bag to put stuff in. Like, oh, yeah, like so there's a, well, I, I think, think it's to me like, like a getaway bag. I assumed it was kind of like when they say a sling bag, kind of like a crossbody bag. And I think it is, it looks like it's yeah. very small. Like if, if the, if this is the right bag and they have released the right information, it looks like it's just like something that you carry your wallet and your phone. And it doesn't look like it's big enough to put like a gym town, a drink bottle and things like that in. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe that was his kind of business bag, but it's interesting that he had that in the car. Maybe he just carried it everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, like it looks like, yeah, anyway. So anyway. So I think that's it for Alan. Hopefully we'll hear something else soon, but um, very mysterious one. Yeah. And then next we're going to talk about Jake Sefolia from Elmhurst, Illinois, which um, as we go through the story, you'll see there's a lot of, weird similarities obviously they're i'm not gonna say definitely but they're most likely not related since they're nowhere near each other but it's just weird how common i mean how many things they have in common um yeah definitely 911 what's the address of your emergency on the surface jake sefolia seemed to have it all he works for united airlines a telegenic top executive at united airlines it is just an absolute thrill to welcome you all to our hometown. At age 49, a senior vice president of Worldwide Sales. I have somebody at United checking to see if he's on a flight somewhere. Sofia was a divorced father of two who lived in West Suburban Elmhurst and often saw his son and daughter. He missed his night with the kids. Tonight, 66 days after his ex-wife Christy called 911, Jake Sofia is still missing. Something's just absolutely not right. So Jake was um, 49 years old. And he was the senior vice president of worldwide sales for United Airlines. And on August 7th, um, it was a Friday, he took that day off. 
So he was last seen that morning on surveillance at a gas station at 9.30 a.m. filling up his Range Rover. So again, last seen at a gas station in the morning filling up his luxury car. Luxury car. Yeah. So on August 8th, a deputy from DuPage Sheriff's Office who was patrolling the area noted that at 1.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m., so it's the day after he was seen on footage gas station, that a Range Rover sat unoccupied on a gravel road near Waterfall Glen Forest Preserve. So there's no missing persons um, report or anything at this point, so I guess the deputy was just driving around, saw the car, made a note of it. Not a major red flag at the time. Um, so then a few hours later, Jake's ex-wife, Christine Safolia reported him missing after he didn't show up for a meeting with their kids and she couldn't get in touch with him. So Forest Preserve officers then connected the car to Jake and immediately they started a canine search of the preserve at 9 p.m. that night looking for him. So he was known to run at that preserve, so that could be a reason why he was there. Maybe he got lost. Who knows? But, you know, they did the search. Nothing turned up. They got into his car. There was no signs of foul play or suicide or anything like that. There was no note found inside the car the only thing they found in there was his sweatshirt some golf clubs face mask and a first aid kit nothing overly exciting Mm. so to this day there's been various searches of the preserve in that area and he still hasn't been found but it's been revealed by police since then that jake was under some sort of criminal investigation but they haven't released any details on what that investigation actually was or what it involved I'm surprised nothing else has come out about that. Like, you yeah, think, it's weird. Mm, it's very strange. Or that, like, no one that knows him, like, has said anything about it or... I don't know. So leading up to his disappearance, the last person to see Jake was his son, who left his father's house on the evening of August 6th, so the day before he was seen at the gas station. He left that night, and he said that his father, Jake, was extremely drunk. And this is all coming from... um the police report that one of the news agencies got a hold of. I think it's um, the patch. From there, Jake didn't answer any calls or texts from his family, and Christine, his ex-wife, became worried. So she went to his house to check on him on August 8th, two days later. His car wasn't there, but there was a note on um, his door from one of his co-workers named Joe Tibble. I don't know what the note said, and I couldn't find what it said, but they talked to Joe later, so... Um, So after this is when she thought it was weird and contacted the police. She told the police that her ex-husband suffered no mental illness to her knowledge or took any medication, but she said that he might have a drinking problem. She also told police that Jake fantasized about going off the grid and having no electronics or communications with others. Joe Tibble, the co-worker, told police he was at Jake's house around 7 p.m. on August 6th, the same night that the son was there, and said that he was drunk. And this was about an hour before the son actually left. He said that Jake told him that he broke up with his girlfriend in San Francisco named Wendy, and he told him it's all Wendy's fault. There's no context to that, but it's Wendy's fault, apparently. Yeah, that they broke up. Yeah. (laughs) So Joe also told the police that he found it unusual that Jake took off the next day, which is the Friday that he's seen at the gas station. Um, I guess maybe he didn't take off a lot or had no reason to. So Joe checked his United airlines flight logs because i guess when you work there you could just fly wherever you want um (laughs) and he saw that jake's last flight was on august 5th a day before he was last physically seen from san francisco which is where wendy lived so the police then got in contact with wendy rodriguez who said that she broke up with jake a few weeks before but he wanted to get back together her birthday was august 4th and that jake was there 
and stayed the night, so that seems to explain the flight from San Francisco the next day. Wendy told police that Jake mentioned something about wine to go into the mountains to be alone. She said that he had been stressed over work and was drinking more than usual, but didn't make any overly concerning statements. To me, if someone said they wanted to go off into the mountains and be alone, I'd be like, um, what? Yeah, and like something about wanting to go into the mountains and be alone. Like, yeah, you'd think you'd ask more information about that. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Especially like a business executive. It's not like he was an avid hiker doing this on I guess the regular. It just been like a bit of a throwaway statement. Like, he might have just been like, oh, I just wish I could go into the mountains and get away or something like that. Like, yeah, true. But, yeah, <clears throat> that is unusual. I'm sure I've said that before, but it's something I would definitely <laughs> never do. I'd say. I'd say go to a hotel and be like, I'm going to be going into the mountains. <laughs> yeah, I'd say like go to the beach. Like, yeah. Then police spoke with Jake's sister named Jenny Horan. Um, she told police that her brother came over with his kids on August 2nd and that he seemed to be in good spirits. But she made the police aware of another of Jake's girlfriends named Dina. So it seems like he had two girlfriends, which could also, you know, add to some of that stress, juggling two girlfriends. Yeah. One lives um, in a different state. I'm not really sure where Dina lived, but... Seems like a little hectic. Mm. Um, Dina said she last communicated with Jake around 2.30 p.m. on August 6th by text message, after which he didn't respond. Dina said that Jake was supposed to come over for dinner on August 8th, but didn't show. So police continued their searches through the summer, but found no sign of him and no really, there's not really any other insider police report information that's been released since then. In November 2020, police returned to the area after you know, all the leaves had fallen, hoping that, that would give them better visuals of the area. They went back in with smaller teams of officers and were able to look deeper, deeper into the woods and off the trails. NBC Chicago spoke with DuPage County Forest Preserve Chief David Peterson, and he said to them, Now the leaf foliage is down, it gives us a different perspective, so we are taking another look. We're doing so because there hasn't been any other lead or any other information regarding Jacob's folia. He also said, I thoroughly believe it would be nothing but a recovery effort if he's in the forest preserve at this point. Yeah, I think they would go without saying for that long. November yeah. 2020. Especially in, in Illinois, it's really cold and very yeah. wintry and snowy. It's interesting to me that they said that they were, you know, might get a better picture once the tree, the leaves are down because maybe that thinks maybe they're looking for him in a tree, possibly. Maybe they think that he might have harmed himself up a tree by hanging or whatever, but. Yeah, I was wondering what the, the woods there looked like. Maybe there's a lot of brush, too, so it just kind of would be less dense so maybe they could see better, like, if you're dead under a bush or something. like. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. Maybe if he was on the ground, it would be harder because then he'd be covered by leaves. Yeah, I don't know. It seems... Who knows? We're not the ones searching, so... <laughs> um, he also gave more information on their initial searches. He described the initial search efforts for Jake at the 2,000-acre forest preserve as massive, saying, This has been one of our most extensive searches with a lot of resources, volunteers to law enforcement, staff and drones to aircraft thermal imaging. We really put in a lot, including some water searches in the nearby Des Plaines River. So now they're doing smaller searches that go deeper into the woods in little teams. Um, he also told them that this is a place where people can feel secluded and go back to nature and maybe feel some peace. So he's thinking maybe he went yeah. off into the woods somewhere, I guess. If you look at photos, like it does look beautiful. There's what, heaps of waterfalls, <clears throat> sorry, heaps of waterfalls and things like that. Um, but it does look like a place where if you go off the trails, you could definitely. Yeah, I saw. 
in the same article that um, I was reading these quotes from, they said that there's times where like the officers kind of had to like yell to each other so they didn't get lost in the woods or anything. So mm-hmm. this is a dense, big, confusing area if you go off the trail. Yeah, I was just, yeah, there's a website. It says the 2,503 acre waterfall Glen Forest Preserve is one of the most ecologically impressive parcels. 11 miles of trails popular with hikers, bicyclists, horseback riders, and cross country skiers. Hmm. So you think, though, it sounds like it's quite a popular place for all these things to happen, but I guess he could just be so hidden that no one's been able to find anything if he's there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's really all the information as far as like the searching and what led up to it there hasn't been a lot said but um recently similar to alan his the sale on his house was finalized but he listed his house for sale in june of 2020 so despite him being a missing person the house was able to go under contract and make it to closing because in may 2018 jake gave power of attorney for the property to his relative rudy piedra and a document authorizing Piedra with those powers was recorded with DuPage County at the same time as the November 5th sale. Jake paid $560,000 for the house in 2016. In June 2020, two months before he went missing, Jake listed the house for sale for $589,900. i am so bad at saying numbers sometimes. <laughs> I'm always like, am I saying this right? Um, he then reduced the asking price to $574,900 in July, and then again to $549,900 on August 3rd. The house went under contract August 5th, and several days later, he disappeared. I mean, it seems like he was kind of desperate to sell it for some reason if he mm. he like would be losing money on it at this point. I mean, not that I, I mean, I have no idea, but as such a the executive vice president at United Airlines, you'd think that money wouldn't really be too concerning, but... I know that um, someone, like, because I follow this case from the start as well, and I know that some people were suggesting because he actually worked for an airline and then COVID, and he was in sales for an airline as well, so mm-hmm. that surely he's... Like, I don't, and I don't know what he... Like, I don't know what capacity he was in sales in the airline, but you would think that that would have been one of the hardest hit... Um, industries yeah. by COVID and people not being able to travel or not wanting to travel. So yeah, um, I know at the time there was a suggestion that maybe it had something to do with that. But then in, in a sense, it, you know, he was just, I don't know, maybe he did work on commission, I don't know, but, you know, essentially he was just an employee. He wasn't an owner of the company or anything like that. So you would think his liability would be somewhat limited if there was something financial going on, but who knows. Yeah, and plus it's like you never know how someone handles their finances. Like maybe he had a gambling problem. Maybe he just liked to spend a lot of fucking money. Who knows? I remember at the time too, I looked at his house, like, and the listing's still up. I'll pop it on the website as well. But, like, so his house is lovely. It's just a nice, very neat, um, but it's almost kind of sparse and barren. Like, there's not a whole amount of furniture. Some of the rooms are empty. There's like a foosball table, a gaming consoles, a bar, things like that. And there's obviously a room that is very clearly must be, I don't know, I think he only has one child, maybe. Or anyway, there's a, one room in the house that you can tell is definitely a kid's room. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got like Stranger Things posters, and maybe he has two kids because there's another I room think that has Chicago Because I think the wife said he missed a meeting with their kids. Okay, that makes sense. Because anyway, there's two rooms, I guess, that could possibly be kids' rooms. So, but it's very neat and tidy, and um, you know, just a little bit barren, I guess. But yeah. So yeah. So the listing's still up online. You can check out what his house was like if you like to be a bit of a <laughs> creep like me. <laughs> yeah. But I also thought it was interesting. 
I mean, you said it might not be weird, and obviously I have no idea because I'm not buying a house because here I am. But um, like that he gave power of attorney to like make these types of decisions to his like relative when he's a single guy mm. and isn't like incapacitated or I mean, you don't think that he has I, some terminal illness, but maybe because he was so busy as like such an executive, if maybe you want someone else to help him handle it. I don't know. But then it's interesting to me too, I guess maybe because the sale was in process before he went missing, but it's interesting to me that they were still able to go and sell the house if like, so it's almost opposite of the Alan White case. So in this case, they, you know, used power of attorney and everyone thinks that maybe now he's alive, but I wonder if that's still, they still had to prove that for Jake as well. Or if um, maybe because the sale was in process before he disappeared, they could continue with that. Yeah. I don't know. Know, but he also gave this relative power of attorney in 2018. So I suspect in this case it may be different because he initiated the sale himself. So that yeah. would be my reasoning why this doesn't mean that Jake is alive, which people think Alan may be alive now because of the power of attorney stuff. Yeah, because it's like clearly he wanted to sell the house. Yeah. But so in a totally different side drama, because just because of course, <laughs> just so we can have some laughs maybe, if anything. Um, of course, there is Facebook drama with this case. Similar, it has some shades of mostly harmless in a way of people just doing the fucking most for no reason. <laughs> so um, according to the Elmhurst patch, they said that um, the main Facebook page in Search for Missing Elmhurst resident Jake Sefolia has turned into a place for arguments. Shocking. Many are questioning the intentions of its creator, who claims to be working for his boss, Zuck. He admits he has never met Sefolia. Meanwhile, a rival Facebook group formed this week with members contending the other page has censored their views. Like a day in the life, right? Yeah, no, crazy. So the group was created by a man named John Wynn, who has no connection to Jake. John posted a video of himself in the group where he announced himself as the administrator of the group and said that he had been in talks with his boss, Zuck. He also referred to the Elmhurst Police Department statement that Sefolia was under criminal investigation since before he disappeared. He said, this is a quote, We both think Jake is alive right now and well, and we're going to do what we can for assisting Jake for clearing his name, and then we'll see if we can get him to come back. Jake's a great guy. He needs to be fully cleared. Like I say, I've been in talks with my boss, Zuck, so I really think this entire thing is going to have a good ending. Um, Elmer's Patch contacted him through Facebook Messenger and asked, whether he knew Jake, he sent back a voice message saying, My relationship is with Zuck. I work with Zuck. He has me doing many things. I have a lot of things. I have 25 groups that I'm the admin for. When asked for, <laughs> when asked for Zuck's full name, John said it was Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> the, I can't, <laughs> it was Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook founder. He did not provide proof that he worked for Zuckerberg when asked, only saying, ask Zuck. People began to realize clearly that um, John Wynn seems a bit unhinged, and a new group for Jake was created by an acquaintance of his named Alicia Bailey. She said she belongs to a number of true crime groups on Facebook, and she said that Wynn's page had problems, so she felt like it was her calling to step up to the plate. Um, she said she recently left her job at United Airlines after 15 years and met Jake Sefolia once. So she says she has no personal interest other than general intrigue. So 
The search for Jake continues, but the question remains as to whether the answer to this mystery is somewhere in Waterfall Glen Preserve or somewhere else. It's um, interesting to me because I tried to have a look and find these groups so I could kind of see what was going on. But the only one that I can see that still exists is one called Support Search for Jake Sefolia. And then the two admins aren't John Wynn or is his name John Wynn? John or Alicia. So I don't know what is going on there, which is there is someone on there who did work at United. So maybe Alicia's gotten out of this now and the other United person has taken it over. But maybe we're blocked. One new post today, I don't know, obviously it's a private group, I can't see what it is, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so, it's not even really surprising, it shouldn't be surprising that there's these people on Facebook who are alluding that they work, like lying and say that they work for Facebook and work for Mark Zuckerberg when they clearly don't. Maybe yes. maybe his group did get, which is why we can't find it. But Oh yeah, there's, there's just, um, more in that article about it, but I just... I couldn't be bothered because it was so yeah. ridiculous already. But right. he like had some company with like Zuckerberg in it on his Facebook profile as his job, and then the newspaper obviously researched that company, and it like doesn't fucking exist. <laughs> but I just um. think it, I feel like you could do a whole episode and how like I don't want to say crazy, but unhinged people like seem to attach themselves to missing persons cases. Sometimes I don't I don't get it, but it definitely happens a good amount. And I know it's not really essentially a missing persons case, but it was at the start. But when you were reading that, some of the people and the the things that were going on <laughs> reminded me of um, Libby and Abby. Yeah. When people just did crazy, crazy things and, um, you know, inserted themselves in the case. Mm-hmm. So. It reminds, it reminds me of yeah, Delphi, like mostly harmless, Maura Murray, like all of them. There's always just like some people who are, who like make it like their life's, mission to solve this case for some reason which is like great but you're doing it the wrong way yeah it's um so there was a page too called the disappearance of jake safoli i had two thousand members but that's gone and that must have been that one because i think when i read this article it said it had 1700 members Instead of that, even though this uh, the article that I'm reading was from January, but it said it only had half a dozen posts since late November, which is interesting because it's still a very recent missing persons case, and there's still things happening. So it's interesting that there was just no content. And I feel for like it, it said that he posted that video that I was reading the quotes from in November. So maybe he posted that, and everyone's like, "We gotta get out of here." <laughs> there was um, one little interesting piece that I wanted to add is that in January, I think it was around middle of January. United have said that Jake is no longer considered an employee of theirs. Yeah. Um, they took him, even though he was, he was, his job title was Senior Vice President of Worldwide's Worldwide Sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've basically gotten rid of him from the website. He's no longer an employee, but they said they hadn't, as of January, found his replacement yet. I wonder if that has to do with like the criminal investigation or if it's just because like he's missing and probably dead or. When you think about like what could the criminal inv- investigation be about, like you, I don't know, I might first it would be something fraud or money related. That would be my fr- first thought too, but you never know. Like it could literally be like child porn, sex ring, like yeah, yeah, yeah I know, or drugs or something like that. But um, I feel like that, and I know that it's not. Um, you know, we shouldn't expect United to keep him as an employee forever if he's not coming back. But it's yeah. interesting that they um, like made a statement on of, it almost. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. But, like to it's me. not like maybe. Alan Alan White's job is like nope, he doesn't work here anymore. Yeah, and it's maybe they are making that 
that make that the reason that they've kind of made this public and made a bit of a statement leads me to think that they're kind of trying to um, cut ties with him. Yeah. So maybe they know more about whatever the criminal investigation's for. Yeah. But with this one, I'm more leaning towards just from it being like a place that he went running at, like telling people he wanted to get away and having stress and drinking a lot and managing two girlfriends. I feel like either suicide or he went off and had a misadventure. Yeah, I I would say more likely I believe this one is suicide. Um I just and I know it does happen. I just don't think it happens as often as people think where someone runs away to start a new life. Um, yeah, I feel like it's that is hard. Like hard. Yeah. Unless he did have like some outside shady bank accounts from his money laundering, so it's like I mean, I guess so, but I'm more le- he seemed like pretty much like an emotional wreck where I don't think he would have pulled it off according to what people are saying. When I when I was googling um to kind of maybe try and see if anyone else knew about the criminal investigation, I read somewhere that someone had posted what it was about, but then they went and deleted their comments. So apparently there's a global business travel association and they have been kind of under a bit of controversy because there's been a whistleblower who's alleged misconduct. So it says things like the there's a hostile working environment for women and racial minorities, basically misusing his expense um, allowance and things like that. So I think that people are insinuating or, you know, maybe not people, maybe one person <laughs> insinuated that that may be something that Jake was involved in. Um, it could be a lot more people are coming out and talking about things like that lately. Yeah, so it says, like, there's another article and it says another GBTA member, board member resigns. And that interesting because the person who resigned in this article was the senior vice president of sales. Um, so it says they've initiated an investigation into allegations. You know, the person alluded to him maybe being involved with the GBTA. So June 3, 2019, Jake was named as the new vice president of the Allied Leadership Council for the GBTA. It says, Jake Zafolia is a well-respected and trusted leader as well as a tireless advocate for GBTA and I'm thrilled to welcome him. His over 20 years of experience and insight make him an asset to our organisation and industry. I look forward to working closely with Jake. So that's interesting that that company or you know organisation was under investigation. and so He was replacing someone who had resigned? Yeah, well, I think so. Um, and probably resigned because of this controversy, it seems. It doesn't really say, oh, here it does. It says, Safali will take over this position from Dorothy Dowling, Chief Marketing Officer and SVP of Best Western Hotels, Who, but she was elevated to the position of ALC president. So she wasn't fired then. I don't know if she's been you know, removed now, but that's interesting that there are those allegations. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he goes missing. But then, like in saying that, that was 2019. He only went missing in 2020. Mm-hmm. You think that it sounds like he probably would have come in when all these things were happening already. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Who knows? It'll be interesting to see if anything else comes of that. Yeah, I'm definitely leaning towards suicide with that one. He seemed yeah. distressed, plus with the criminal investigation. And I feel like having two girlfriends is also a side of just like living an unhappy, distressed life. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would be surprised if this isn't a suicide, but... Who knows? Or, yeah, some type of misadventure. Yeah, but, like he went out know. into the wild and couldn't handle it. Mm, I think that's it. Yeah, so that's it for both those cases. You know, disappointing that they're both still 
unresolved and we don't have a final ending, but hopefully one will come this year and we'll be able to talk about it. And I'll put um, all the stuff up on the blog about both cases if you want to check it out and have a read. So you can go to the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com and you can discuss it at truecrimesociety.com. There's videos for both of their last sightings at the gas station if you want to give them a look, see if you can get a vibe for anything. <laughs> yeah, see if you can see anything that we've missed. As always, join our forum at truecrimesociety.com and the blog is now at truecrimesocietyblog.com um, yep. so make sure to check those out follow us on instagram and twitter yep as we've been saying our facebook group we are not dismantling but it's not our main point of platform anymore yeah communication with everyone anymore so make sure you join us on truecrimesociety.com instagram twitter all that um and we will See you guys next week then. Hope you have a good week. Thanks for the memes. Haven't said that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you soon. Bye.